the most basic story in all of pro wrestling is the guy we like versus the guy we don't. It's the oldest story in the book, but it still works because it's so simple. But of course, things can change. Given enough time, beloved heroes can become hated villains, and the most despised characters can be embraced by the fans. In wrestling lingo, it's called a turn, and they happen all the time. But what if the performers in question were so good at their jobs, and the industry as a whole was in such a singular moment of transition, that enough time meant 20 minutes, and both wrestlers did a moral 180 at the same time? It's rare, but it happens. Characters can swap alignments within the confines of a single match, and it's always fascinating. In today's episode, we go back to 1997, when a squeaky clean mat technician and a psychotic brawler went to war in a match so violent and transformative that both men, and the moral landscape of American pro wrestling, would be forever changed. Today, on I Hate Wrestling, it's Bret Hart versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. Turn, turn, turn. done with your big old sandwich yet no i don't want to eat in your ear so <laughs> so i'm gonna be talking and then i'm just gonna hear like no i'll mute my microphone but i'll make sure my camera's on so you can just see me eat it <laughs> okay so i can see from the audio levels that we're actually recording pretty well right now my mom was very upset at you in your last episode Stephen the train graham that your audio levels were low uh, yeah, they were kind of low. They were, they were, I re-recorded it and I, well, I didn't re-record it, but I re-rendered the audio and boosted it, but she was very upset. She's like, tell Steve I couldn't hear him. I'm like, well, you can't do anything about it. He's not recording it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll start talking louder. That's right. <laughs> Project. Project. Sonorous. Hello, Mrs. O'Connell. <laughs> and you know what else? Do you like my voice? <laughs> Steve and the Train Graham. Yeah, hang on one second. I'm going to take a bite of the sandwich. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> this is audio poison. I'm currently being quiet so Steve and the Train Graham can eat a sandwich. That's so good. <laughs> I had the decency. Let me tell you about basic human decency, sir. I... Also ate a very large amount of food, but I had the decency and good sense to wait a little while, not only so that you wouldn't hear me eat it, Stephen and the listeners out there, but also because I didn't want to be like all weirdly phlegmatic, which I felt was a very real risk, considering that I ate about a pound of french fries covered with cheese and chili, and then also like a dozen wings, uh, hot wings, which means one thing and one thing only, mucus. Stephen the Train Graham, welcome back to the podcast. All of this is unusable. Explain to me quickly why I've invited you to come onto my podcast. I don't even remember. Okay. Um, it's because I hate wrestling. That's right. You hate it so much we've avoided talking about it for 12 full minutes. Oh, yes. Uh, uh, back on topic. My name is <laughs> Stephen the oh, Train so Graham. Suddenly all business. How's your fucking I sandwich, bud? Not finished. Do you want me to take another bite? <laughs> it's just, it's a cold Reuben now. 
It's like the gazpacho of sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> I wish for for SEO reasons I didn't have to put the wrestler's name in the episode title because otherwise I would name this episode the gazpacho of sandwiches. <laughs> oh, you could still do it and put it at the end there. I could. That's you know what. That's what it's going to be. I was originally going to call this Stone Cold Steve Austin turn turn turn. Ah, uh, you get it. Ah, ah. But instead, I'm going to call it Stone Cold Steve Austin, the Gazpacho of sandwiches, because he is Stone Cold. He is cold. Yeah. Cold. Better eat that soup before you turn Stone Cold. What? What? What do you got? Tomato soup. What? Crackers. Warm it up. What? Oysters. What? Ritz. What? Saltines. So, we're anyway, yeah. We're, what? Uh, we're here today to talk about a very special match. Very special. I mean, I'm being a little bit facetious. I mean, I, I don't mean it to sound like it's a very special match. Like it's a very special episode of Saved by the Bell where uh, somebody dies in a drunk driving accident or whatever. I mean, it's Dark. a yeah. <laughs> I was going to reference the bike shop episode of Different Strokes, but I felt that might have been too dark. Um, but usually very special episodes are things where dark things happen, and this is a fairly dark match. This represents a very important turning point in American pro wrestling where things got pretty dark for a while. Things got very adult, very edgy, very violent. And this is sort of the final nail in the coffin of the family-friendly WWE. You know, everything that Hulk Hogan built sort of dies on this night. Does that make sense? Yep. The red and yellow turned to black. For the uninitiated, well, everybody probably knows sort of the broad strokes of Stone Cold Steve Austin, right? Because if any, if you're going to know a wrestler, you're going to know Stone Cold or you're going to know The Rock, right? So this is the moment when Stone Cold Steve Austin changes from a popular pro wrestler into the most popular pro wrestler of all time. And it's also the moment when family-friendly pro wrestling bleeds to death in the middle of the ring. We went from the 80s with uh, the red and yellow, Hulk Hogan, Macho Man, really over-the-top characters like Doink the Clown. Pierre Lafayette stealing Bret Hart's jacket was a major storyline. Things of that nature where it's just very family-friendly. And then it went into Bret Hart. It got a little edgier. The focus didn't become on charisma or promos, per se. It really focused on wrestling, pro wrestling, good technical wrestling, the characters were still there, but now you, in order to get really over with the crowd, you needed to start being able to put on good matches and right. prove to yourself that you're still a tough guy. Right. Yeah. In the eighties, it was about, uh, big gimmicks and big bodies. It was a big steroid era and Brett <clears throat> and Bret Hart kind of came to prominence because he was not a steroid guy. He was a guy who was a really good wrestler and he could, as opposed to being an attraction, just a big dude that you wanted to see, he put on matches that you wanted to see. So Bret Hart was an alternative to Hulk Hogan in that way. And they don't like to say this, but that Bret Hart period is probably the closest they ever came to going out of business. 
like they were getting they were getting destroyed in the ratings by WCW. Uh, Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels were kind of the two leading lights of that period, like between, I guess you'd say between 93 and 97. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, you had, and Razor Ramon, Gold Dust, like these are some of the other big names that we've met from this time period. But Bret and Shawn were the sort of, the Alpha and Omega, right? The, uh, the Cain and Abel, so to speak, the Elvis and Buddy Holly of this particular period of American pro wrestling. They were great wrestlers and great entertainers, but it was pretty clear that what they were bringing to the table wasn't enough. Something was coming, and I don't think anybody realized exactly what it was. We saw a little bit of it with Goldust in, uh, in 95 and early 96, this sort of adult edge, and it really finds expression in Stone Cold Steve Austin, and American pro wrestling had not quite seen a character like Stone Cold Steve Austin before. He was violent. He was angry. He didn't seem to care. (laughs) He seemed legitimately dangerous, and not dangerous in the sense of being a character on a show. He seemed like chaos personified. He was almost like Heath Ledger's Joker in a way. Like, you didn't know really what he wanted. He was a true force of nature, unpredictable, and people loved this. And when you brought up Jean-Pierre Lafitte as one of Bret Hart's early antagonists, I thought it would be worthwhile to compare him to Bret, to, uh, to Stone Cold Steve Austin, because in like 1994, when Bret Hart first became WWE champion, his big program was against a cartoon pirate who stole his Sgt. Pepper's jacket. And, and Bret was none too happy. Yeah, and Brett was none too happy, and he was going to wrist-lock him about it. Mm-hmm. And now you cut to 1997, and you have Stone Cold Steve Austin trying to break people's legs and screaming, You gotta kill me if you want to stop me! Like, it's night and day. <laughs> yeah, they, they really started to transition from everything had to have, like, a kind of stupid, kid-friendly storyline, to now you just have storylines where, and this one is one of them, where it's, I want to know who's better. Right. And both men are willing to do absolutely whatever it took to prove that they were the alphas in the World Wrestling Federation at that time. Right. Including stretching the bounds of what it means to be a heel or a babyface, a hero or a villain. Right? Because Bret Hart, up until this point, up until his rivalry with Steve Austin, has been the cleanest cut babyface like he's uh you know doing everything for the kids you know the kids are at ringside he he hands them his uh his sunglasses before the match like he's out there slapping hands he's never says anything mean to anybody like he's as pure as driven snow and this guy is so obsessed with this idea of defeating stone cold steve austin that he becomes this completely different person. He embraces a part of himself that we hadn't seen before. This kind of uh, this kind of willingness to do violence to an, to another person. It's wild. Yeah, he challenges his own morals and his own beliefs, and what he and what a lot of what you you see during this um, feud is that a lot of the times you just as you're watching it, you stop and go. Brett wouldn't do that. Right, right. Brett wouldn't say that. 
Right. So all this, you're seeing this this it's a growing change up to this match where you see Brett is a little bit more obsessed. He becomes a little bit more unhinged. He's he's doing things and saying things that the old clean cut Brett would never do. And now you're starting to question who Brett really is. Meanwhile, Stone Cold has never been anything but Stone Cold. You right. know exactly who he is. Right. Right. And that's a big sticking point between these two guys because Stone Cold Steve Austin has always been very clear about what he is, which is violent, driven, vengeful, unforgiving. Like, you know, uh, Stone Cold, right? He tells you himself. He tells you himself what he is and what you can expect from him. Meanwhile, Bret Hart is just coming off 10 years of uh, shaking hands and kissing babies. And Stone Cold Steve Austin seems to see right through it. Right? He seems to see in Bret Hart the potential to be as big, uh, you know, as violent as he is. And he seems to hone in on that hypocrisy. Right? Because Bret sees that people are starting to embrace Stone Cold Steve Austin. And he sees that people are starting to embrace people who are not traditionally heroic. And it starts to eat Brett up because he is upset by this idea that the people that have been cheering him might be changing. And he can't seem to accept the idea that without the support of the fans, he himself might change. And And you know something really from... The beginning of their storyline. So, Brett takes five or six months off after losing to Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania. Right. He's coming back. Austin challenges him. But in one of their first promos that I really was the first time I was like, well, Brett wouldn't say that or something like that. He, in the promo, he says that Vince acknowledges that the landscape has changed. Yes. You've been away six months. You left with all this respect. Everything was friendly. The people in the back, the fans cheered. And then all of a sudden it's coming back and there's a change. And what was pinpointed was Stone Cold was that change. Right. And um, Vince says that, do you come here with the intention of cleaning this place up? And Brett says, I have no doubts about it, that it's going to take some time, but I will bring it back again. I will clean this up. And he's doing that by first focusing on Stone Cold. But it seems like he's going to do that by trying to humble him. Right. It seems like Brett is sort of appointing himself a moral guardian, right? He is making himself the arbiter of what's right and wrong, mm-hmm. which is not the action of a humble man. That is the action of an egomaniac to decide that what everyone else is doing is wrong. To not, He's not respecting anyone else's choices. He's assuming that everyone else is as displeased as he is with the way things are going. But in fact, what Brett is pinpointing as things that are going wrong coincide with the company turning everything around. Ticket sales are going up. Merchandise sales are going up. TV ratings are going up. The company is on an upswing. And Brett is coming into that saying he wants to put a stop to it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's an interesting sort of dichotomy, a, a two-level thing. Because Bret Hart, the character, and I think also Bret Hart, the person, is a kind of conservative guy. And you could picture him thinking, no, why can't we all just shake hands and wrestle each other? But That's at the, right. But at the same time, he's ignoring the fact that what Stone Cold Steve Austin is spearheading, this, this violent movement, but this gritty 
uh, sort of driven movement, this hungry movement, is what's going to keep this company afloat. If we had stayed the course with Bret Hart, the entire company might have gone under. So this is not only Bret Hart confronting another, this is not only Bret Hart, the performer, confronting an unfamiliar landscape. This is Bret Hart, the human being, being introduced to a new kind of landscape. Yeah, absolutely. And you get to see week by week in this feud, they had other feuds going on. Right. Everything was everything was lurking in the background. You still got reminded that Stone Cold was going out to, to kick Bret Hart's ass, but at the same time he just crippled Brian Pillman and he's gonna go out to his house to assault him. Right. Yeah. And be- Bret Hart is chasing the title. Like you still had this feud where everything was happening around them, but they still had this one driving wedge leading them to Survivor Series. And then thusly after that, WrestleMania. Right. You are so right because they're not just wrestlers here. They're also representatives of the old and new eras. And we're in a a period of transition. So Stone Cold Steve Austin and Bret Hart can't move past each other until this torch is passed. Until either Bret Hart sort of squashes this movement or Stone Cold Steve Austin puts the old ways to bed once and for all. Until one of them definitively defeats the other one, this feud is going to keep happening. Uh, as the Joker might say, they're destined to do this forever. Austin even says that in one of his promos. Win, lose, or draw, you're never going to be rid of me. Right. Right, exactly right. Because Austin is... What Austin represents is a shock to the system that changes American pro wrestling forever. Forever. It's never going to be the same as it was pre-Steve Austin. And he is so right about that. Once this feud is over, his legacy is there, along with Bret Hart's, written into the DNA of American pro wrestling. And you can't take it out. You can't. Just the way you can't get rid of Hulk Hogan's legacy, no matter how many racist sex tapes he's in, you can't take his DNA out of American pro wrestling. And that's what Steve Austin is saying here. In... Again, in the the text of the feud, he's telling Bret Hart, the performer, I'm never going to give up and you won't ever be able to get rid of me. But in a broader sense, the sort of grit that Steve Austin brought to American pro wrestling, we're never going to be rid of that. It's too integrated now. It's here to stay. And that brings me to my other point, which is that this is a period of transition for WWE as a whole. This is the birth. You know, they say that the Austin 316 promo was the birth of the Attitude Era. I say no. This, this match is the birth of the Attitude Era. This is the moment right here. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. And also a really important thing to focus on during this match especially is this was still considered a PG era and blood wasn't allowed. No color. Correct. And it plays a crucial part in the story of Steve Austin and Bret Hart and especially with the turn. Yeah. It's a baptism by blood. Absolutely. When Austin starts bleeding, that's the moment. That's when everything switches. It it just becomes so blood and guts, right? It's back. This sort of 
grit. I mean, it it was never quite this adult before. Wrestling has always been a was a, before this always a family thing, but especially down south, there was grit and there was violence and there was blood at least during the most intense feuds. You know, things like the uh, the I Quit steel cage match between Tully Blanchard and Magnum TA, like that was there. That yep. was a, that was an element of wrestling that WWE in the 90s tried to do away with. They tried to put that to bed. They tried to exercise that from American wrestling, and they tried to make it more homogenized, which uh, they have uh, tried to do recently also. But I think Austin's right. You'll never be rid of it. Yeah, you're right. The blood in this match is, one, it's probably the most iconic crimson mask, the most iconic bloodletting in all of pro wrestling. But also, it just serves as a visual reminder that, shit, things have changed. (laughs) And after this, you get things like Shawn Michaels and Undertaker in Hell in a Cell. You get uh, Mick Foley's entire WWE career, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You get The Rock blasting Ken Shamrock with with steel chairs. Do you remember those those steel chair shots that The Rock hit Shamrock with? Yeah, man, I'll send you some. I'll send you some video of those Ken Shamrock ones. That guy. Oh, speaking of which, Ken Shamrock is our special guest referee in this match. Yes, a legitimate badass at the time, UFC champion. Right. Another way of adding edge to the uh, to the equation. Right. He's the a former UFC heavyweight champion, the quote unquote world's most dangerous man, the Brock Lesnar of the nineties. This this feud between Bret Hart and Stone Cold Steve Austin has become so pitched and so out of control that we can't have a regular referee. We have to have a former UFC champion to keep things in check. It's a pretty cool way of of pointing out exactly how intense this feud has gotten. Mm-hmm. Um, so I sent you some homework, didn't I? You sent me one video. I sent you that one video because you were you were you were vociferous last time that I did not send you a homework. So I wanted to make sure you had something. That's one of my favorite Austin promos, and it's the one where Vince McMahon on commentary is trying to get to the bottom. It's a little bit. I think it's prior to Survivor Series, mm-hmm. prior to the first match that they have, and Vince is sort of asking Stone Cold Steve Austin, "What, what is your problem, like?" But at the same time, he's sort of airing out, trying to figure out why people are into this guy. And it's because of his intensity, and it's because of his, uh, I don't want to say realism, what do I want to say? His, uh, I don't know, his, uh, his, his grit, his like grit, you said before. Yeah, his grit. And Vince is asking him, you know, what is your problem with Bret Hart? You know, Bret Hart seems like a good enough guy. And Austin is like, you know, Bret Hart, if he ain't quitting, he's crying. If he ain't crying, he's doing something else. Like, he just can't stand that Bret Hart is trying to rewind. It's like Bret Hart is trying to capture the past while Austin is trying to push forward. And I think also, like I mentioned before, it's the hypocrisy that's bothering Steve Austin because he knows what Bret Hart is capable of. And he seems like he's almost trying to 
poke and prod Brett until that comes out of him. It's an interesting way of trying to destroy a guy who says he's better than you is to prove that he's not. And I don't mean in a physical sense, I mean in a moral sense. Yeah. Stone Cold Steve Austin is aware that he's the toughest guy in the room, but he's also aware that if he can take away Bret Hart's moral superiority, he will just destroy this guy. And in the Survivor Series match that they have, Bret Hart manages to control himself. He wins that match clean. Narrowly, though. Narrowly. It's close, but Bret sort of manages to push Austin back. The, the story of that match is also beautiful, so I, w- I would recommend going back and watching it. So their, their whole thing is uh, Steve Austin wants to prove that he's just better than Brett, and also he, he probably sees Brett as being a threat to what he's trying to bring into wrestling, what he's trying to do. So he's going into that match trying to prove that he's better. Brett is going in trying to show that he's better and he still doesn't, he doesn't have any rust. He's as good as he ever was. And in that match, you can clearly see Brett was taking Austin seriously, but he wasn't giving him everything. Right. For three quarters of that match, they were completely even. And then Stone Cold does, um, throws him on a table, goes off, starts punching him, elbow drops. And then he brings him into the ring. So Brett's really hurting now. But the very first move he puts on, is a submission move, which Austin isn't known for. He's known for being a brawler, down and dirty. He puts the very first submission he puts on, serious submission move, other than like a hammerlock, is the Texas Cloverleaf. And to me, that has so much symbolism because that's that's basically the sharpshooter, which is Bret Hart's move. Right. Yes. And you wrench back that way. It's the same thing. It's a it's a figure four Boston Crab essentially. So he to me, he's trying to say anything you can do, I can do better. I am your better. I am your best. And he's trying to do that with that first move. And then after that move doesn't work and Brett gets to the ropes, he tries a bow and arrow. When have you ever seen Steve Austin do a bow and arrow? He never does that. The whole end of that match basically was him saying, I'm better than you. Anything you can do, I can do better. But at the same time, it's his sort of inexperience almost. That's what got him caught because he, the final move that they put on, Brett never puts on the sharpshooter. Uh, Austin escapes it the one time uh, Brett tries, but he pulls on, he puts on the million dollar dream right. onto Brett. Brett can't escape. He's trying. He can't escape. He pushes off the top turnbuckle with his feet. They fall backwards. Brett rolls. And so he pins Austin. And Austin, with his inexperience, says, if I basically is thinking, if I could hold on to this, Brett's going to. Brett's going to tap out before the three count, but the three count happens. Right. Austin gets up, gets out of the ring, walks out fine, and looks like he can go another 30 minutes. Brett's on the floor gasping, and he doesn't get up quite away. He's a little slow. Referees are helping him. So it shows that Brett didn't win because he was better. Brett escaped that night because he was lucky. And he was more experienced. Because Stone Cold Steve Austin at this point was not a finished creation. He was a work in progress. This match represents the completion of Stone Cold Steve Austin. This match represents the point at which the work is complete. And you have this moment where, you know, when they started this feud, Austin was 100% the heel and Bret Hart was 100% the babyface. And throughout their interactions, Stone Cold doesn't really soften, but he gets more accepted. The fans start to embrace him more. Bret Hart 
starts to deteriorate. And the fans start to turn on him a little bit. And by the time this match, by the time the bell rings at WrestleMania 13, it's probably a 50-50 split. With 50% of the fans sticking loyal to Brett and 50% embracing Steve Austin. And when the bell rings, you still kind of get the idea that maybe Bret Hart could come out of this okay. But <laughs> that's not exactly what happens. <laughs> not, not exactly. No. You get the feeling that maybe if Bret can definitively beat Stone Cold Steve Austin, if he can force Steve Austin to submit, if he can force this guy who supposedly... You know, you have to kill me if you want to stop me. We'll never say quit, never say die. If Bret Hart can do that, then maybe he's okay. Then maybe Bret Hart will be okay, and maybe not everything is going to change. Maybe he just has to expel his demons. Right. Maybe if he can put Steve Austin behind him, he can put this negativity behind him. Maybe he just needs to prove that he can rise above. If he can definitively beat Stone Cold Steve Austin, can start a new leaf can, uh, you know, have a comeback, maybe work his way towards the title again, you know? Maybe all of that is waiting just on the other side of definitively defeating Stone Cold Steve Austin. The big question is, can he do it? We're about to find out. We're about to find out, King. Okay, so I fucking love the choice of the, the pain glass, the, the 316 yeah. glass. It's so good. And Austin just comes right out. And he's like no nonsense. You just see, it's littered with signs, all for Stone Cold and some for Brett, but Stone Cold definitely has the majority out there. Yeah, there are plenty of there are plenty of pink signs which you assume have to be for Brett. Something else I really enjoyed about this too is in this match is um, so of course you have the glass breaking with Stone Cold coming out, but then Bret has to walk over that. Yeah. Yep. Because Bret Hart has been reacting to Stone Cold Steve Austin this entire time, right? So why not now? Yep. And I love that Austin immediately he always seems to know where the cameras are and he knows never to blink when he's near the cameras. <laughs> Stone he's Cold. Got, Stone Cold. And I love it. He just sort of briefly gets in the face of Ken Shamrock too, just to, he's not going to not get in somebody's face. Yeah. So here's uh here's Bret Hart where he's got his little fireworks display and he's got the sort of laser tag thing going on with the, the, the light up rings coming out of the, coming out of this entry ramp. And you see there the, uh, the close up on the broken glass as he has to walk over it. We've got a, a Brett Rules sign. He's still, he, you know, he's giving high fives at ringside. He seems like, at this point, he still seems like the Bret Hart of old. Yep. Bret Hart, the true champion. There's like a little kid there. He seems serious. He's not smiling as much as he usually does. But here, he's found a, he's found a kid in the front row to give the kid his, his sunglasses. Like makes a direct beeline for Austin instead of like doing his taunts and 
Austin immediately does a double leg and just starts punching him. Yep, boom, and Austin <laughs> takes him down, mounted punches. Austin has no patience for this. He wants to destroy Bret Hart, and Bret, to his credit, is giving as good as he's getting. He's uh, he's landing these blows, and here we go, Austin again, and they just spill out of the ring immediately, and just throwing hands on the floor. This match went from zero to ninety. They didn't went for they didn't wait for a ring bell or for introductions or anything. They just they just started on each other. And when Brett actually had the advantage when he was on top, you saw Austin pulling on basically the, the ring gear yes. that Brett was wearing, trying to just gain back his leverage. So you can see like the lengths that they're trying to go. Just to hurt each other. Yep, so Brett has gained a real advantage for the first time by throwing Austin into the post. Um, and he's now trying to suplex Austin onto the guardrail, which is a wild thing to be happening, you know, a minute into a match. Now Austin reversed the suplex and just sort of strung up hard by his balls on the t- <laughs> on the, on the guardrail. He lines Brett into Tony Atlas Albano. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 let's not forget uh, Fat Bowl Cut Kid, mm. who is uh, sort of a legend at these sorts of events. At this point, I like how Ken Shamrock's uh, referee outfit is shiny. Some yeah, details that matter. Yeah, he's kind of like a wet look referee shirt <laughs> and little bike shorts. I love how he's constantly popping a squat too. <laughs> he's like his default. Did Austin just steal a soda from somebody and drink it? Yeah. Drink it and then slammed it on Bret Hart's face. <laughs> so now they're sticky. So, so, um, as if to drive the point home that this match is so far beyond wrestling at this point, we're like three minutes in and we can't even see the ring. This is not a wrestling match. This is a match. This is a fight over, essentially the the soul of the, of the American wrestling fan. And to that end, they are in the audience fighting. They're not even in the ring. And Steve Austin is the one that's really taking advantage of the environment. He's the one that suplexed Brett on the guardrail. He's the one that picked up Brett and slammed him down on the barricade and the audience. He's, he's really using everything around him, including drinks. And, and Brett's kind of just sticking to regular brawling. So he hasn't got to that point yet where he's, almost out of desperation to start doing those sort of things. Right. Well, Bret Hart is a wrestler and Steve Austin is a fighter. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Bret Hart has done his fair share of fighting. He's not, uh, it's not as though he doesn't know how to throw a punch, but to say that Austin is a more, ex- oh, that was a backdrop on the stairs. Yes. Oh. <sighs> yeah. Just sort of, I see George R.R. R. Martin there in the background. <laughs> yeah. So, and now at this point, Brett has sort of regained control. And as you might imagine, his first instinct is to bring this match back into the ring where he knows how to control the situation. He's trying to bring... Ken is doing a, Ken is doing a good job of crowd control. Yeah. <laughs> Just sort of... Popping a squat and making these little move move away from me motions. Yeah, karate chop motions. Yep, you you also got to like his little white socks. Mm-hmm. Like a, about two inches of white sock visible above his little ankle boots there. 
and Bret Hart off the guardrail with a, what was that, a fucking forearm, I guess? <laughs> so, at this point, Ugh. Bret has taken Steve Austin back into the ring, or he's attempted to, but Austin reversed it and just Irish whipped him into the stairs, and Bret looks like a piece of roadkill at this point. And Austin just using everything to his advantage. Yep. <laughs> Double birds and then a forearm smash off the apron. Yep. And that one looked about a hundred times more painful than the one that Bret Hart did to him. But also, did you notice him sort of fidgeting with his knee brace? Yep. As he was standing on the ring apron. Uh, oh. It's important to note that Austin is working this match hurt. Oh. And there it is. He was about to brain Bret Hart with that steel step and had it over his head and Brett kicked him right in his injured knee, and it forced him to drop the stairs, and his leg just folded underneath him. And now Brett's just raining these nasty, short knuckle punches right to his ear. <laughs> but Austin, uh, ever the pragmatist, just grabs Brett's tights and whips his head into the into the post. Also, something that to see from here is so Brett did a backdrop on the stairs targeting the back so now Austin just landed on concrete steps in the stairs and then when he kicked the knee brace away uh, from Austin and Austin fell backwards he fell on the stairs yeah and that again hurt his lower back so Brett even though he's he's wrestling this very tough and kind of out of his normal wrestling match he's still honing in and focusing on the areas that he knows he's going to want to attack yeah because that's the sharpshooter yep that's the sharpshooter and that's I mean, Brett is not a brawler, but he does know how to target a body part. So Austin, we already know he's wearing the knee brace. We know that Austin's got a bad knee. Brett has seen him hurt his back, so he's attacking the back. And now he's also softening up the head. He is, again, just grabbed that knee and wrenched it. It's interesting to think about that Steve Austin, again, working this leg, jumping up and slamming his entire body weight down on Austin's leg. And <laughs> Ken Shamrock asks Austin if he wants to quit, and he just flips him off. <laughs> um, so yeah, Hart has, a, has an advantage in a submission match. He's a technical wrestler with decades of experience working limbs. Like you said, his signature move is that sharpshooter. And he's facing an opponent with a bad knee. It's a leg lock and a back and uh, it's a leg lock that wrenches on the back. So Bret Hart is just zeroing in on this wounded knee like a fucking animal. And this is starting to feel less like uh, a precision technical wrestler than it is a bully. Right? I mean, he's stalking Austin. He found a weakness, and now he's just abusing it. Right. This, this, isn't, this feels like Ric Flair trying to hurt someone's leg. This doesn't feel like Bret Hart trying to hurt someone's leg. Oh, stunner. Yep, and Austin hits him with that stunner, but of course this is a submission match, and it's worthless. All he's trying to do is just buy himself a little bit of time just so he could regroup. Sure, but think about this. If this were any other match, Austin would have won. It would have been over. It would have been over. No one kicked out of the Stone Cold Steve, uh, the Stone Cold Steve Stunner. 
the Stone Cold Stunner <laughs> at this point. It was uh, it was a it was bulletproof. Oh, and Austin can't he can't fight back. Hart just keeps destroying that knee. And because Brett was a little bit more fresh, he got to come up at the same time as Steve. Yep. So the move still affected him, and he would have won, but he's able to regroup a lot faster. Now a figure for a leg lock from the actual turnbuckle. Yeah, so... Brett almost being perpendicular to that actual post. Yeah, if you're not watching along at home, Bret Hart has just sort of pulled Steve Austin's legs around the steel ring post and then wrapped him up in a figure four leg lock, essentially driving his injured knee against that steel post. And then... Right in front of Stu and his mom. Yeah, and hanging off his injured leg with his full weight. What is it? You was Brett 220? Yeah, at least. So he is just viciously targeting an injured man's leg. Is this is not classic Bret Hart. Oh, Brett just grabbed the ring bell, you know, actual real metal. Yes. Brings it to the apron but then decides, you know, a, a chair would actually be better for this. So he's going to introduce the chair into this match instead. Yeah. And he's, you see, he picks up the chair that's padded, discards it, and picks up the yeah. solid steel chair. And it's interesting that he rejects the, oh, that's right. Because now, he's going to try to break Steve Austin's fucking leg with this chair. He's going to try to wrap his ankle and knee inside the chair and then stomp on the legs to try to just break his leg. And this is what uh, Austin did to Pillman. Right. This is how he hurt him. Right. Oh. And boom! <laughs> Austin just whacks him in the head. You know, Brett climbed up the top rope to try to jump off and sandwich that chair between his legs. And Austin managed to pop up and just blast him in the head with this chair. And oh! And Austin is alive and on fire. And so is everyone in this building. This is straight up. Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior sort of fury, babyface fury. Now, Austin had never done this before. Austin didn't fire up because he was a villain. Villains don't fire up. They have really been working this match with Brett as the heel and Austin as the babyface. Because that's the way he's been working. You know, when heels are hurt and they're on the defensive, it's a lot of cartoonish selling. It's a lot of begging off, right? They're trying to make rolling out of the ring. Right. Trying to escape. Yeah, and they're trying to make the babyface's moves look good. And what Austin is trying to do is garner sympathy. He's working this match as a babyface, which is why when Hart is twisting his leg, he is moving. He's trying to keep fighting. He's selling on offense because he's trying to play through the pain. Meanwhile, Brett is getting hurt and he's just laying there. They're they have switched up already the visual language of who is sympathetic and who is not and now we see that little kid in the front row with her head in her hands and you have to wonder is she upset because bret hart is being hurt or is she upset because bret hart is being a shitbag <laughs> she's seeing her she's seeing her hero destroyed in two senses uh, austin here uh what the fuck submission hold is this attempt uh, a ground octopus, I would say. A ground It's almost like a Koji clutch, I guess. Yeah. Uh, it's not, it doesn't look great. 
I think he might have just improvised this one. I'm pretty sure that is octopus with the leg over the head. One leg wrapping an arm, one leg over the head, and then pulling on the other arm. So he's just, just not doing it standing. And we see Bret Hart's father in the front row looking very concerned. And now Austin is putting Bret Hart in uh, a, a Boston Crab here, which is a variation on Bret Hart's finishing maneuver. This is basically the sharpshooter without crossing the legs. And something I, I really like what Steve does is after every time he doesn't move, he doesn't just go back and attack. He actually limps around a little bit. It's subtle, but it's there to remind you that he's hurt. He's yeah, and in the in the fiction of the match, you could say, okay, he's thinking about his next move. He's maybe trying to walk some feeling back into that injured leg. In the uh, in the storytelling language that he's using, he's reminding you that he's hurt. So it's got kind of it works on two levels, I think. Uh, now he will Austin going for the sharpshooter. That's right. With his bad leg in the middle. And kind of milking it. So now Austin's switching back a little bit to the, to be the heel, but Bret Hart immediately takes that mantle back away from him by raking the eyes. But so, if you're Hulk Hogan, it's a perfectly fine babyface move. Yeah, Hulk Hogan's a piece of shit. <laughs> um, I wanted to point out before, when Austin was hitting him with that chair, what felt like... Uh, you know, what felt like violent aggression before this match starts to feel like righteous fury. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just because people are buying into it. And now, look at that. Austin raises his hands and people cheer him, which I, I don't think he's ever engaged with the audience before. He has, but it's always been in a mocking tone. Right. Before he did the Bret Hart's taunts and he would do it mockingly. Now he's just doing it for himself. Right, he's <laughs> Bret, Bret Hart just threw Austin into the guardrail and knocked over uh, Hugo Savinovich of the Spanish announced team. <laughs> but this is also this is also the uh, the point in the match where everything changes, right? Because Austin smashing his head on this guardrail just now is where he starts to bleed. And before we kind of saw them switching back and forth. You know, they were both being kind of heelish. You know, Austin trying to steal Brett's move. And, uh... And, but then Brett raking the eyes. But now Austin is bleeding. And Brett is not. And at this point, there's really no disguising what has happened. We are witnessing one man savagely beating another man with one bad leg who is bleeding profusely from the head. Which, the use of blood, it, it really helps people get behind him and everything, but it also humanizes Stone Cold, who at this time was just a brawler, who just trash-talked. He, he didn't have any kind of you know redeeming qualities that made you associate yourself with him, and now you see him that he's, he's human like everybody else. Right. So it's really helping that he's still fighting through it, no matter how much pain or how hurt he is. Yep. And here we see him crawling into the ring and just desperately trying to wipe as much of this blood as he can off of his head and failing, obviously, because it's fucking everywhere. It's gruesome. 
and then Brett, being a heel, starts actually attacking that wound. He yeah. starts kicking him in the wound, punching him directly in it. Those, yeah, those short knuckle punches. It's nasty. And Shamrock checking on Austin, checking to see if he's okay to continue. Um, and Austin, of course, is not going to give up. But at this point, it kind of seems like he's at Bret Hart's mercy. Bret Hart with the backbreaker there, softening him up for the sharpshooter. And these are Bret Hart's quote-unquote five moves of doom that everyone knows, uh, flying elbow drop. Uh, these are the prelude to the sharpshooter. But as if to drive home the point that things are different than they have been in the past, instead of applying the sharpshooter, Bret hits him right in that injured knee with that chair three times. Four times. While Austin is trying to escape, and he's looking at him kind of helpless. Yeah. There's nothing he can do to avoid them. So he's staring at Brett while Brett is driving these home, these those chair shots home. Yeah, and Brett is just without without emotion, just. And here's Austin raking Brett's eyes to escape that sharpshooter, because again Austin, and with Austin it feels justified because he is very badly hurt. He's in what much worse shape than Brett was when Austin tried to put the sharpshooter on him. So He's now just doing what he has to. Yeah, Brett Hart maybe felt like he needed to go to this place mentally to survive, but that was psychological, right? Austin, what he's doing right now is literally a fight for survival and kicks him right in the dick. What a satisfying <laughs> dick kick too, right? Yeah, Brett sold that perfectly. His legs crippled up and he just falls back. <laughs> right. His two legs in the air, his knees like trying to hold an aspirin between them. Oh. Just his, the breath just going. You could tell like all the all of his air just went out of his lungs with that. Yep. And Austin can barely stand using both arms to pull himself up to his feet. And again, walking around trying to get some feeling back in that leg, but immediately there's no quit in Austin. He throws Brett into the corner. He is trying to get up, but he's not getting up to try to escape. He's getting up to try to fight, and he's firing up. He's got that bobblehead thing going on where you just know he's swearing up a storm. He's holding on to the top rope just so he can kick Brett. If he weren't holding on to that top rope, he'd probably fall over. When he put Brett into the corner, he definitely fumbled and grabbed onto the top rope. Yeah. So he's still hurting, but he's he's not giving up. You, you won't get this man to quit. No, and he's completely given up trying to wipe the blood off his face at this point. It's just there to stay. Now Austin lifts Bret Hart up to the top rope. And, and this is typically a Bret Hart move. Yeah, Bret Hart often went for a superplex like this. And Austin hits him with that superplex. Uh, again, tries to. I think he tried to roll there to try to save his knee, which makes sense. You gotta try to do whatever you can. Jesus Christ, look at how nasty that blade job is. He's just bleeding everywhere. Just the entire side of his face is just a mess. Probably and, the reason why it is so deep is because Brett is the one that actually cut him. Oh yeah? Yeah, in the Edge and Christian podcast they talked about it. And Austin didn't want to do it because he's only been in the company for a year and thought he would get in trouble. Oh gosh. Gotcha. So Brett actually cut him open. So here Brett is desperately trying to escape, and Austin has uh, grabbed an extension cord. 
and wraps it around Brett's neck three times to make sure, like, everybody knows he's choking him. Yeah, and, I mean, at this point, we know that Austin, and they're the, the ring bell that Brett uh, brought in before, manages to crack him in the head with it. Which you honestly forgot about. You forgot Brett even introduced that. It just came out of nowhere, like, oh. Yeah. Like it was almost like a good thing Brett did that. Yep. And now we see Stone Cold being put into the sharpshooter, but he's trying with everything he has, but he can't fight it. He's in the sharpshooter now. Yeah, and Brett rolls him over. And Shamrock in position. Look at all that blood that's already on the mat. It's pooling under his head. If you see what Austin is doing, too, like he's he's purposely putting his head down on the side that he got cut. Yep. So he's kind of, when he's rubbing his head up against the mat, he's opening it. Yeah, he's so now the blood's coming out more. Yep. And, you know, you got to figure his his heart is above his head, too. He's he's in the middle of this match. He's There's so much adrenaline pumping through this man right now, and he's just bleeding everywhere. And, oh, it's so it's so horrifying. Brett is has that sharpshooter perfectly applied, too. He's, he's, he's deep, and he's cranking back. And Austin seems to be fading here. But then he pushes up with both hands, the blood pouring in as he's screaming because yeah, he's in so much pain, and the blood is trickling yeah, down his teeth I know, his mouth. dripping out of his mustache. It's horrifying. And, and he, he manages to get Brett off of his balance. He, so the pressure's relieved, but Brett doesn't let go, and no. Austin's desperately reaching back to try and get him off. No, and, and Brett, uh, he was knocked loose, but not... oh. He cranks back and sits back down on that sharpshooter again. And Austin tries to push himself back, but he doesn't have the strength anymore. And, and you can only imagine from him pushing up that ruined his back a little more. And he's just... All the fighting that he's doing is just causing more blood to pump out of him. And at this point, Austin is motionless. And Shamrock has to call for the bell. Austin is out. He's out. It's- he's... He's passed out from a combination of pain and blood loss. And Bret Hart has won this match. But not in the terms that he wanted. No. So an important thing about this is at this time, there were no tap outs in wrestling. Right. When you lost a submission match, you had to say, I give up. Right. Ken Shamrock actually introduced the tap out. Yeah. And... That was something that Brett wanted. Brett wanted to basically give him humility. He wanted to strip Austin's pride away. And Austin, everything that Austin has, his pride, his trash-talking, everything, his, his confidence, he wanted to take that from him. Yep. And because Austin would not say those words, it's it's a victory, but it's a hollow one because Brett is, didn't get what he wanted. Yeah, it's it, it's an, a W in his column for sure, but Brett Hart 100% did not get what he needed out of this match. And now he's walking around and trying to, like, play to the audience and looking out at them, and they are booing him. And he, at this point, has really no idea what to do. And he's just like, fuck it. I guess I'm just going to keep beating up Steve Austin. <laughs> he goes back attacking the leg. Well, Austin isn't all the way there yet. He's, he's loopy. Yeah, Austin is barely conscious and Bret Hart is attempting to put the sharpshooter back on him and has to be thrown off by Ken Shamrock by the referee 
So Bret Hart has clearly passed some sort of moral event horizon here. Whatever you might have liked and respected about Bret Hart is gone. Especially at this moment, because Ken is ready to fight. He's saying, come on, come on. And instead of challenging him, Bret leaves. Bret won't face a direct challenge. He, he would rather beat an unconscious man than face Ken Shamrock one-on-one. And look at that. He's angrily slapping hands as he walks by. And people are, like, pulling their hands away. <laughs> and flipping him off, and then he flipped a person back off. Yeah, That's not he, Brett. This is a not, brand new Brett that we see now. Or has this always been Brett? Has this always been Brett and everything else been a lie? Yep. You know? And meanwhile, here's Austin in the ring by himself, dragging himself up to his feet. <laughs> a referee tries to help him and he stuns the referee because fuck you for trying to help me. And, and he has to swing his way out of the ring because his knee is so fucked up. But he would rather limp to the back by himself than accept anyone's help and people are in love with him at this point. And it really shows that even though he, he passed out, even though he lost the match, he still has that fight in him. He still has the he still has the fight in him. Bret Hart won this match, but only one of these two men lost everything right in this it right right here on this night, and it was Bret Hart. Bret Hart got what he wanted, which is a victory over Steve Austin, but he lost everything else. Now all these people that are passing by that were flipping off or booing Brett are now reaching out to Austin. Yeah. This trying is, to touch him and support him. He's getting a standing ovation, and he's still not embracing it. Because Steve Austin was never about embracing the fans. Steve Austin was always about himself, being himself, doing things for himself. And But we follow him. We didn't follow Brett all the way to the back, but we follow Austin, and he's the last thing we see as he fades into the distance. Absolutely incredible. It still stands up to everything, and to see what this just the complete story and the culmination of an incredible payoff. This uh, this was four months, basically November, December, January, February, March. So five months technically, but this is five months of storyline. This is five months of building Brett to turn and building Austin to turn, and it all culminated in this match. Each person put out everything they had. And it really made that double switch where people were already kind of embracing Austin, but Brett's their guy. This is Bret Hart. He's the best there is. And then this match really turned the tables and allowed Austin to start shining without changing who he was. Right. You grew up with Bret Hart. You grew up with Bret Hart. If you were wrestling, if you were watching wrestling in the nineties. Yeah. And this is a very real moment of seeing your hero fail, seeing your hero die, essentially. Because the Bret Hart that we grew up with uh, went away in that match. There was no more of him left at the end. And it's, it's, in a wrestling match, it's kind of one of those situations where you meet your childhood idol and you find out he's an asshole. Sure. 
it's one of those it's one of those moments where everything that you loved about that person is now tainted because this is now front and center. Right. And meanwhile, everything that we've seen from Stone Cold Steve Austin has a new context because we know that what he's been saying is true. He is the toughest man we've ever seen. He does have more heart than anybody else. Nothing will make him quit. And we just saw that. We saw that what he was saying was true. And we saw that what Brett was saying was a lie. It's an elegant, elegant double turn. Right, so we should talk a little bit about what happened to these two guys in the aftermath of this. Because we talked about Steve Austin winning. Steve Austin really won this. Because Steve Austin goes on to become by a lot of metrics, the most successful pro wrestler of all time. He sells approximately 30 billion t-shirts. He goes on to do talk shows as in The Simpsons and South Park. He's Dilbert. Go- <laughs> he was on Dilbert. He, he went behind The Rock after The Rock started doing movies. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, he was in he was in a number of uh, number of movies. Wasn't he in uh, one of the Expendables? Yeah, he was in the first Expendable. He faced uh, Randy Couture. Right. So he was in movies. He's got uh, he's got a reality show now on CMT. He's conquered the podcast world now. He's by all accounts doing great. Meanwhile, Bret Hart, a couple of months after this match, uh, finds himself essentially forced out of WWE because of a real life personal issue with Shawn Michaels and Vince McMahon. He winds up going to WCW, who does not use him properly. Uh, His brother Owen dies in the ring. He himself is concussed in a match with Goldberg like a year and a half later and has to retire. Bret Hart, if you look at where they're... Has a stroke, and then has another stroke, and then had a third stroke. Yeah, I I think he may have cancer now, like... Yeah, yeah, I think he had prostate cancer, yeah. Yeah, so if you just look at where their lives diverge, yeah, but if you look at where their lives diverged, I mean, it's kind of cruel to think about it this way, but man, Austin sure did win, huh? Yeah. Well, it looked like there was a time that he wasn't, so after this feud, uh, directly after this feud, um, Brett goes on and he wins the title. Yes. After this feud... Austin goes into a feud with Owen, breaks his neck. Yes. But thankfully, everybody saw money in Austin, and they're like, well, if he can't perform, we'll have him talk trash and just stunner people. Right. And that's when he stunned McMahon. Yeah. And that led to basically one of the greatest, another one of the greatest storylines in wrestling history, which allows him to capture the World Wrestling Federation title how many times? And um, Five times, I think. Yeah, and then really do the feud that WCW tried because WCW had an evil um, promoter who was who originally started on commentary and doing backstage interviews. Right. Yes. But, but with Vince and Austin, it was magic. And then you could, and again, something that they don't do today. And what this feud did with Brett and Austin, they had one central feud: Austin versus McMahon. But you had him facing Triple H at one time. The Rock was the corporate champion. Mankind was in, and Do Love was there. So Rock really, um, right. Austin really just went off. Right, and also you had you had the corporation and the ministry and the corporate ministry, and now you have the Undertaker, and now you have Kane. But 
the two poles are still Austin and McMahon. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm, at some point I'm going to do an Austin Rock episode because those two also had one hell of a rivalry. And again, only like four matches with each other. Yeah. Do you have any other feelings about uh, about this match? About Stone Cold Steve Austin, about Bret Hart, about the Attitude Era, about the submission match, about blood, about guts, about glory? Uh, that's a lot. Um, love Bret Hart. I think he is truly the excellence of execution. All of his matches are really good psychologically based and on a performance standard. Each one tells a, a really great story and a lot of the matches you don't see twice. You know, they say that he has his five moves of doom, but you you don't really watch the same match ever twice. Right. And then um, Austin, phenomenal, of course. He was always a good wrestler. You go back to watching Stunning Steve and the Hollywood Blondes and WCW. Like, nothing really changes. He just shaves his head and has an attitude. And, and he, uh, especially after this, he starts to really lean into the brawling and the character work. And that's when he really blows up. Yes. Um, just phenomenal. Uh, I truth be told, I didn't care too much about the Attitude Era. Um, no, I we're talking a lot about the sort of this era that Stone Cold Steve Austin helped to usher in, and I think honestly, a lot of it doesn't really hold up. No, um, like, Au- Austin stuff holds up almost all of it. Um, some of the Rock stuff holds up. A lot of it is very sophomoric and frankly homophobic. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the DX stuff is very juvenile and doesn't hold up. A lot of the Kane and Undertaker stuff is very cheesy. I think a lot of Mick Foley holds up well. Mick Foley does very hold up well, yes. Um, but the Austin McMahon stuff really works. But, you know, it doesn't have to hold up. The fact is that it meant what it did at the time. And it was it needed to happen. It needed to happen. At the same time, though... Who, if you were watching in the Attitude Era, you were also watching, hey, I hope you like three-minute Al Snow matches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, we... I, I hope you enjoy this Crash Holly versus Headbanger Mosh singles match. <laughs> like, those were things that happened on Monday Night Raw. You had all these characters that, yeah, had characters behind them, but their matches weren't good. And then right after that, you're feeling uncomfortable because you're watching a Braun Panties match. Yes. Yeah. Awful. You you basically watched Raw and SmackDown for those moments of greatness when it came to Austin. Yep. When it came to Rock, Shawn Michaels, or even like the when it started getting into like Edge and Christian. Yes. The Hardys. Edge. Yeah. Um. Two. If I could just if I could just offer two words about the Attitude Era and why some of the Austin stuff, as as raunchy and gritty and as violent as it was was great, you can't, you don't get Steve Austin without also getting Val Venus. Yeah. Who's, if you don't know everybody, uh, Val Venus was a pro wrestling porn star. They would basically just talk about how giant his penis was, and they would show, like, clips of his porno movies where he's not actually doing any fucking, but it's, like, (laughs) right before the fucking happens. And it's just, like... Why Why does anyone want to... No one wants to see this. This is bad for everyone. And then you have to watch uh, really great Japanese wrestlers become stereotypes. <laughs> and try to cut his penis off with a katana, yeah. And try to choppy-choppy your pee-pee. Right. 
Only yes. for him to be saved at the last minute by <laughs> John, John Wayne Bobbitt. Yeah. John Wayne Bobbitt. Oh my God. Huh. Okay. Um, this has been another episode of I Hate Wrestling. I want to thank my guest, Stephen the Train Graham. I want to thank my good friend, Corinne Dodenhoff, for designing my logo. I want to thank the Novas for the use of my theme song, The Crusher. Uh, I want you, noble listeners, to like me on Facebook. I want you to visit me at ihwpod.com. I want you to subscribe on iTunes. I want you to subscribe on SoundCloud like Stephen the Train Graham does. I want you to visit us. Visit the shop at ihw.com. We have so many products now. We have t-shirts. We have mugs. We have bandanas. We have stickers. We have buttons. Steven, you just got your t-shirt in the mail. How does it look? Oh, it looks and feels phenomenal. Like an angel's hug. I love the heart on top and the I Hate Wrestling logo. It's a uh, quintessential for my everyday collection. Absolutely. And you know what? You should go to uh, you should go to the I Hate Wrestling Facebook page and look at my mother's dog Hermie wearing his I Hate Wrestling So Sorry bandana. <laughs> Uh, there's one that I particularly like because he's a very small, fat dog, and it's a very large bandana, and it looks like he's wearing a fun fat guy shirt. You know the kind, right, Steven? Yeah, it's mine. <laughs> <laughs> you said it, not me. It hides all my rolls. <laughs> I'm going to put that on the website, and it's just going to say, it hides all my rolls. Customer reviews. It perfectly hides all my rolls. <laughs> you, can, you can barely see my other the boob sweat. Oh, good God. <laughs> you finished that sandwich yet? No, man. <laughs> now crusty and cold. All right, Stephen. We gotta we gotta wrap this up. You know you know how I end the show. Last time you told me you were gonna be El Hijo de Santa. What what is your character this week? I've thought about this too. You know how in Mexican wrestling you can pass down masks. Yes. And then you become a junior type yeah. of thing with Pentagon. You know. Yes, yes, yes. Um, go go I listen to like, episode eleven, everybody. If you haven't listened to it, zero fear. It's a good one. Phenomenal podcast. I quite enjoyed that one. I want to be Kenny the Box Junior. And I want to be like. <laughs> miniature like Kenny like when he's just a sprout and he passes down his mask and then I want to slowly grow to the point where I can't enter the ring anymore so then <laughs> so if, if anybody doesn't know who Kenny the Box is no one knows know. who Kenny the Box is <laughs> he should be worldwide known <laughs> he's, he's basically a man in a giant box with a little giant wooden balls on for hands <laughs> so he can't grapple you <laughs> and he also has a tree stump for a head and he has like little eyes and stuff but he cries sap sometimes he has a little bird on top so i would like to get his mask start off as like kenny the box jr as like a little twig person uh-huh. that can like walk and everything and still get in the ring sure but then as i age yeah i want this to happen right before i have a title match oh you gotta i want to i want to go have a title match and then i show up and i'm bigger and i can't <laughs> fit myself through the ropes and thusly i'm disqualified <laughs>
You want to be the fucking great Deku tree from The Legend of Zelda. <laughs> I would just have so much fun with that. Uh, I think trying to grapple people and just slide and fall on my face. It would be fantastic. Let me let me just pitch this. You you can't get into the ring, so you cry tears of sap. They hardened make a bridge, so I can't get in. No, I was gonna say you oh. you cry tears and like the referee gets stuck in there and fossilized. <laughs> <laughs> Life. And then I could just carry him around like he's like the mosquito in Jurassic Park. <laughs> Life finds finds a way. <laughs> he's just attached to my side the entire time. And then you could be managed by John Hammond. Yeah, yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> fucking dr grizzly's combat bears you remember our band dr grizzly's combat bears and i've heard of them, I've heard of them. yeah i heard I, I used to follow them on tour back in the day and yeah on the myspace right <laughs> which is still up by the way yeah <laughs> um if you ever want to look at photos of myself and Stephen the train Graham in a very unfortunate period of our lives go check out the the myspace page for our Unfortunately, now defunct band, Dr. Grizzly's Combat Bears. Good times. I was a terrible guitar player. I wasn't a great singer. This... We had two amazing musicians in there, and then there was us. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, that's that's why I, I assume both of them continue to be musicians, and we are not musicians. Yeah, probably. Let's just imagine that, that sort of backstory for them. Yeah, I can't believe Jake, I can't believe Jake and Patty are in the arcade fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we always knew they were extremely talented, even when we were holding them back. Yeah, that's right.